0: Before we start the show, we'd love to ask just one thing from you, our listeners, whether it's a friend, family member, or work colleague, we'd love it if you could tell just one person about our podcast, Unedited. Welcome to Unedited,
1: our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Brought to you by myself, Diana Bang, and Grace Hill. From fashion,
0: beauty and homeware, Diana and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. So Grace, have you had any updates during lockdown? No, no crazy revelations or changes to my routine. I've been uh, watching a lot of normal people, as I think the whole world has been, being obsessed with Connell's chain. But also got into, we've been reading Michelle Obama's Becoming book, but then obviously the documentary on Netflix about her book tour. So I couldn't wait to finish the book. So I had to watch that. And then I'm desperate to get into The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary next. But My brother's been raving about it, saying it's the best thing he's watched in a long time and is now, you know, scraping Depop, trying to find 90s memorabilia and Nike products. So that'll be a really interesting trend to see what comes off the back of that. But what have you been up to? Yeah, I love that documentary as well. I've been shopping a lot as well, but actually...
1: been shopping a lot on cult beauty I never used to shop that much on cult beauty before but I've been buying new brands and products that I didn't buy before I have an eyeliner that I probably you probably see me every single day wearing it and not never being without my eyeliner but I switched brands I don't know if it's something to do with the creation of the lockdown but I've changed from Rimmel to Benefit (laughs) just from cult beauty's inspirational posts about it so was influenced, but I was curious whether I'm the only one that is shopping crazy on cult Beauty and looked at Edited and I saw that there was a 50% increase of sellouts within cult
0: Beauty during this pandemic. So I was quite shocked by that. That's crazy. I feel like because everybody's at home and they've got, you know, everyone's shopping online. So these beauty retailers, they're seeing success there. But yeah, no, I've also been tempted to switch up my routine I think because it's like you're at home and you're not going anywhere. So it's a, it's a time for trial and for testing. I've been uh, subject to some also to be influenced by some YouTube videos. So I've invested in some Glossier products that I've been meaning to try for, for a while. But I've also been watching some tutorials on YouTube about cutting hair. So I saw uh, Jen Atkin, who's I'm a huge fan of, with her way brand. I know she's now stocked on Amazon, which is exciting. That she had a tutorial on how to cut men's hair because my brother's hair has been going out of control. So haven't quite perfected the fade, but there's plenty of time, I think, to get good at that. My boyfriend won't let me cut his hair. He doesn't trust me. <laughs> Is he gonna be going for the the low pony, the man bun? Look. We have tried to put it up in a ponytail. <laughs> <It's> that long. <laughs> so Dana Obviously on the topic of beauty, what is it that we're going to be discussing today on on the podcast?
1: Well, I mean, the pandemic, even as we're talking about it, has made the world realize the importance of self-care as it has such a positive effect on well-being and mental health. So both for women and men. But so today we're going to be delving into the men's beauty market
0: specifically. Our guest today is Ed Healy. Ed has over 10 years of experience in sales and marketing, working for a range of companies, including luxury brands within L'Oreal UK, startups and iconic beauty giants. Ed is currently the commercial director of L'Oreal Designer Fragrances, where he manages a portfolio of 10 brands, including Valentino, Thierry Mugler, if I say it right, and Victor and Rolf. Today, he will be sharing his own personal opinions on the men's beauty market. Welcome, Ed. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you?
2: I'm very good. I'm very good. The weather's good. And I've got a couple of days off leave, so I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place. So, yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. What have you been up to in lockdown? I think I've been seeing some DJing on your Instagram. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So my wife and I, uh, so what are we on? Week nine, week ten? I've lost count, but we are uh, fitness freaks. So we do a lot of working out. We do a lot of tanning. I mean, the weather since lockdown has been a gift, definitely from from God there. So we're up on our terrace, sunbathing a lot. We love sunbathing. We're recreating Ibiza on our roof terrace. So uh, I took up a hobby at the start of the year. So I'm just DJing, house, old school garage, a bit of noughties R&B. So yeah, loving life, loving life, making the most of it.
1: You're making me feel guilty. I feel like I haven't done it happen as much as any of that. Really.
2: <laughs> Amongst that work has probably been the busiest I've actually ever been in my life as well. I mean, it, I mean as you can imagine, it, it is massively challenging. It's very much work hard and play hard at the moment, but play hard in, in, in my terrace.
1: <laughs> I think that leads us on as well, I guess. A lot is happening within men's beauty, and that's why we're doing this podcast. We've seen the market has had a huge interest and is forecasted to reach $166 billion by 2022, which is huge. How have you seen the men's market grow and develop throughout your career? Great to hear.
2: Yeah, so I thought I'd give you guys a bit of context when we're talking about the men's beauty market. So if we look at the total UK beauty market, it's worth $12.1 billion, Okay, so it's a big... Big market is comprised of four sort of categories. You've got just under half, so around 48% is the mass market. So the likes of L'Oreal, Paris, number seven, Nivea. You then got the luxury brands, which represents around 37%. So the Longcoms, the YSL, Chanel, Clarins. You've got the professional division at 10%, so the salon business, the products that you can buy on salons, Kerastase, L'Oreal Professional. And then a very small category in specialist dermo, 4%, which is like our Laresh-Passe's and Vichy's. When we look at the men's market, okay, so the men's, the men's market is, is, is worth 1.5 billion. So 13% of that 12.1 billion. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're thinking, hang on a minute, you've got a population of roughly 50-50, give or take, how can it only be 13%? And you'd be like, wow, rubbing your hands, I've got to invest, we're massively under index, but it's harder than you think. We go deeper into the men's market. Okay, so of that 1.5 billion, half of it is fragrance. Okay, so as men, we're very well versed with fragrance. You know, we we know the the toilet man who's offering our fragrance. No spray, no lay. So we're very well versed in this category. The other the other makeup of that is a third is hygiene. Okay, so D.O.'s shower gel, very functional part of it. And then you've got little segments, 10% in hair care, you know, hair care and styling at around 7%. So very, very small. And you have to ask yourself, why is it such a small part of the category? So if we looked into sort of a few reasons, why is it so small? Makeup of the 12 million, 20% of that is, uh, sorry, of the 12 billion, 20% of that is makeup. We're never going to bridge that gap. No no matter how fast men's makeup is growing, we're never going to bridge that gap. So that gap will always be there. In terms of skincare, we're so far behind in terms of penetration, especially if you look at somewhere like China. So Chinese men are very well-versed and from a very young age have been taught to groom. To It's all about well-being. It's all about looking after themselves. So if you compare Chinese males versus UK males, we're millions and millions of miles apart. However, you know, the, the general attitude to grooming is changing. The birth of social media guys are starting to look at themselves and, and say, wow, I've actually now got a digital profile. We're going to have to start making a bit more of a, an effort. So we have seen, you know, big, big growth, but I can't stress enough how much of a small base we're talking.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy when you break down stats like that and you can see how small it is in comparison, but what the potential is. I know there's a few things like makeup uh, for men that we really want to get into in more detail later, but we know kind of education is is fundamental to the beauty market. I know from experience, I used to actually work in education at Lizelle Beauty many years ago, but I'm really keen to know kind of how do the strategies differ for education for the men's market versus the
2: women's market. Yeah, in my opinion when you when you're marketing to men, for me it's very important to provide all the benefits up front, you know, making it very simple, multifunctional if possible, you know, men love a 3-in-1 product if they could for everything and then providing the backup information later. Whereas for women, it's much more of an emotional connection. It's more varied, more focused on luxury. So very different ways when you're talking to that consumer. In terms of beauty, as I said, we're miles behind women when it comes to to skincare and and grooming. So the the tutorials, the way we talk needs to be a lot more basic, more visual, pitched at a good pace because you you lose a man very quickly if, if it's not a good pace when talking around beauty. You need more basic tutorials and, as I said, very visual. Whereas if, if you look at the women's marketing, the way you work, you see some of the adverts such as longcom and Dior, it's, it's a story, it's full of emotion, it's full of dreams, it's full of glamour. So you've got two different ways when, when you're talking to a male consumer and a, and a female consumer, especially around beauty.
1: Mm. I know I bought immediately something that Millie McIntosh had promoted on her Instagram. I bought that immediately on Cult Beauty. But um, you were mentioning earlier about makeup and how that's where the big, gaps are with those numbers and stats that you shared earlier. I read recently in The Guardian that French president Macron actually wears makeup. So it'd be interesting to understand, are men afraid to use makeup? And why isn't it the norm for men to buy beauty products like makeup?
2: Yeah, and and I'll go back to sort of the example of, of China where, where men at a very young age were sort of you know really taught around grooming, moisturising, and the importance around that. You know, when I was a kid, millennials, when we were kids, it was all about action man. It was very much about ultra-masculine and, and, and a real focus around masculinity. And I thought a great highlight of this was that Gillette recently did an advert where they tried to contemporize its slogan, the best it's the man that he can get. And and it basically has sinister males bullying and harassing. And they got absolutely slaughtered for it, smearing and tarring an entire gender with one brush. But I kind of think it did depict what it was like for us. You know, when we were kids, if you stood out in any way, you got absolutely caned. If you look different, you're a target. If you got, if you stood out in any way, so at school you got you got your head down, try not to stood up, uh, stand out, and you essentially conformed. Therefore, sort of creativity in the way you look, there wasn't that there wasn't much creativity going on, um, and you weren't really able to express yourself. If we look at today, you know, you look at social media, and a great example is makeup by Jack. You've got this ten-year-old boy wearing makeup. And he's got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers. And I'm not being funny, if he was in a playground and he started getting bullied or harassed about putting on makeup, I'd, I'd be turning around and say, look, I'm making thousands and thousands of pounds a month as a 10 year old boy, what have you done with your 10 years of your life? So you've really got this trend setting, you know, uh, influencers really changing. But as I said, it happens at a young age and it's slow, slow burner. So Gen Z, very much more creative, more expressive around the way they look.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. And I, we want to ask you some more, more questions about kind of influencers and, and Gen Zs. But in terms of, from your experience right now where are you seeing growth or the most exciting growth in categories in the men's skincare market in the men's market not specifically skincare is it skincare is it makeup body care you know where where are you seeing that growth
2: yeah for me a few things so you've got beard care so beard is a massive trend starting in the last sort of three three to five years you can see in terms of search, male consumers are, are, are really gearing their search around beard, how to look after it, how to style it, what products to, to use on there. So we're seeing double the amount of search terms around beard than we are with fragrance. Now, when I said to you half the market was fragrance, it's not necessarily transpiring into sales, but you can see where as a category, there's is, is a big focus. Face care, skincare obviously is a part, it, you know, grew up plus 17%. So it is a, last year It is a, an area for focus but again you know that doesn't include all those secret closet men who are hiding behind their girlfriend's moisturizer or their wife moisturizer and pretending not to use it but they definitely are not to mention my wife's dad uses his body moisture on his face so there's still a lot more uh, education to go gifting gifting is a massive part you know again really in terms of if you're a male brand targeting the female consumers a massive part of your strategy so you've almost got to have. Two strategies targeting the gifter, targeting the the male as well. So yeah, they're the sort of three categories that you know you really focus in on.
1: Yes, it kind of relates to our next question as well. But what you were saying about how men and the education, and you mentioned this earlier. I was I'm going to call out my boyfriend. And I was saying this to him the other day. Like, how do you wash your face? And he says, I just put water on it. What do you mean? It's like, no, you have to wash your face with a product that's meant to clean your face, not just water. And one of the other things that's interesting, and this is probably quite classic as well, is the products that he has are products that his mom has bought him. Every Christmas, those Clinique products that he has in his closet are from there. So you kind of already mentioned a bit about the gifting and that journey, but what does the whole kind of men's journey to buying beauty products look like other than you mentioned gifting already?
2: Yeah. So the pathway to purchase has massively changed over the last 10 to 20 years ago. So if we look at just in general, the beauty market, your, your main drive was TV. Okay, so you know, ten years ago the big the big corporations were able to blast their competitors out the water, big TV campaigns take a lot of market share. Media today has become unbelievably segmented. You've now got paid social, you've got paid search, you've got influencer advocacy, you've got programmatic media. And therefore, you can get these really niche startups who can really attack like little ants their market share and game market share in in, in very strategic ways. You know, a lot of people can start up internet sites. You know, with the internet boom, people can start up their sites. They can set up their paid search, for social campaigns, influencers starting their own products. You know, seeing a lot of celebrity in endorsements out there. So, from a media point of view, it's massively changed. If you look at sort of the the areas of purchase so the place in where we buy the products you look at 10 years ago and and, pe- and the men are really buying it in grocery and also buying it in drug stores you know the boots and the superdrug soup today you've got pure players like asos mankind you mentioned cult beauty amazon and and we're definitely seeing you know th- this change in in the distribution really enabling that growth as well because men do gravitate towards online.
0: Yeah, it I mean it's really interesting that they do gravitate to online and it's curious to see kind of what marketing elements really drive them to that channel and like what really resonates with a male consumer. And like do you have any examples of outstanding campaigns that have, have really driven success from your own experience? I know you'd mentioned functionality is is really important when speaking to the male customer.
2: Yeah, for me it's all about relevancy. So you've got to be relevant, you've got to connect with the consumer. Are you problem solving? You've got to be simplistic. But above all, are you staying true to your brand? Because you know, as guys, we cut through the the marketing, we're quite skeptical. So you've really got to attack those things. I mean, you look at the links. You know, ads sort of back 10 years ago, you couldn't be any more simplistic. Spray on some links and the girls came running down the road after you. So very simplistic. And I like to think we've become a bit more sophisticated as men. There are massive examples in the beauty market in particular. There is one that I used to like was Old Spice. So the man your man could smell like. So I don't know if you, if you can remember, it was this hunky black guy. He starts in the bathroom. He's then suddenly on a ship. And then he's suddenly on a horse. And it was targeted at women saying, you, you know, your man could smell like me. So it was, it was quite jovial. But w- what was actually genius is what they did afterwards. So they saw that the advert did really well in terms of the way it tested. So what they did is they carried it on. And on, a, on Facebook, you could write questions, you could write comments, and the guy would then create personal videos and they sent it back to the consumer using the same guy. So it shows when you when you know... You're on a winner. How do you keep it going? How do you how do you keep the story ticking along? So yeah, that was probably one of my favourites.
0: I remember the Old Spice one because I think we did it in like a market. I bet you did. <laughs> I
2: bet you did.
0: <laughs> At uni, I remember seeing it. it with your wife, actually. She was probably in the same lecture hall as me. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I definitely, you can't forget that one, that is for sure.
1: And I've seen recently, what's his name? Jurgen Klopp an advert for Nivea with the football team. I should know which team that is. Obviously, I think he's a beautiful, big right? <laughs> I know <hate> that, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just interested that they were using football players to. This was, yeah, the moisturizer as well. But yeah, how much they're driven by that. One of the things that we've spoken a lot about the differences between men and women, and one of the things we've seen with edited data is that personal care products marketed to women costs on average 13% more than similar products targeted to men. So that's something that's so unfair. And my boyfriend, and I actually have like an equality budget that he buys me a drink once a month because I spend on average more than him on similar products. So that's something that we do. I can recommend it to anyone listening who wants to do the same thing. But why do brands implement different pricing strategies per gender? What are your thoughts, at least on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't sort of speak for the whole industry and, and, and for all suppliers and retailers. But if I had to guess, I genuinely believe it would be the quality of the product. I think the quality of the ingredients, the range of ingredients, the specialism going in there resonates more with the female consumer. Because by putting that in and then telling the story and, and, and providing the science, I think there is more of an upside there. Then then doing that with males, then doing the same thing with males and, and getting them to buy into it, I think you've probably got a lot more of a more range in terms of specialist products as to versus the male category. so as you've got a much wider category. You're probably going to have a lot more sophisticated products in there with, with higher price points. But again, I've never heard that before in my 10 years. I've never, I've definitely heard the UK versus Euro debate, but never heard the male female debate. So it's a new one, new one for, for me. But if I had to guess, that would be it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was wondering whether it was like price sensitivity as well as like, you know, for a man to enter that market, you know, you've got to offer them more attractive price points and, and the woman is is willing to pay that little bit more as it's established in that. Good
2: shout. Your guess is good as mine, but I didn't have a
0: good one. But obviously beauty halls, they showcase a variety of beauty products and offer similar services to beauty salons and kind of have been the historical driver of, of sales within, within beauty. But with e-commerce channels growing by over 150% in the last seven years, and we know you've mentioned the strength of that channel and dwarfing department beauty sales, department store sales. How do sales channels differ for the men's market? offline versus
2: online? Yeah, so if we look at the total beauty market for last year, around 21% was online. So you had roughly 80-20, 80 brick and mortar. And we can talk in a little bit about the shift we'll see this year with the coronavirus. But but just staying on this question, yeah, roughly an 80-20 split, but we definitely see that men do over-index massively. Mm -hmm. A great example was this when we launched Men Expert Barber Club, we could see the conversion was much higher online then you would typically see maybe in a female launch where it would have been a more diverse distribution. So in my opinion, men are more impulsive when it comes to, to shopping. Women's, a, women, a female's purchase is more calculated. They'll go into store. They'll want to get more of the texture. they might want to smell the product. They'll want to speak to a beauty advisor, get to really understand all of the products behind it. So definitely a more calculated. Also men tend to, to be more loyal. Honestly, when we get a product, we like it. We stick with it. So, we, if we like a product, we know we can repel on Amazon. Bang, you know, you get that on a on a on a on on Amazon or, or online. Just you know where to go. You don't need to go down to the shops. So yeah, men do tend to be more loyal, whereas women love to test the new makeup, new MPD that that's out in the market and are generally more adventurous than we are. And that's a, a cause for the split as well.
1: I was asking I mean, my boyfriend, he was going to buy the same, was, he's was buying a t-shirt and I was like, which t-shirt are you buying? He said, oh, the same black Hackett t-shirt I already have. I said, why are you buying a new one? <laughs> oh, it works. So I'm just buying another one.
0: <laughs> creatures of habit well in terms of talking about trying things on we'd noticed that l'oreal paris i think it was they've just launched the virtual try on app online i was specifically trying out the hair color it I was laughing because it told me it didn't recommend the shade for me i think it was pink and then i did send a photo to diana because it did it, not look cute it was it didn't not look
2: good where was that which website did you do it on
0: it was on it was on the l'oreal paris's website I believe. yeah um, so I
2: thing is a technology called muddy face and it is super cool I've, I've played around with it as well trust me I've put on a <laughs> bit of lippy I've changed my hairstyle as well we actually it was in Paris and we have like a designated part of the company where we where we have the new latest technology it's really cool it's really cool and I remember, remember playing with Modiface and I was like guys where's the beard I had no <laughs> beard option so I was like, "You've got to create a bit, you know, guys. We've got a massive trend in beard here, and you haven't got beard on the body face. So, um, yeah, I know the tool you're talking about. It's cool. And and honestly, you know, with, with coronavirus and you know, beauty advisors not being able to potentially touch, trial, having to keep a safe distance away, technology like that is going to become even more important. And it's those sort of omnichannel because you will be we we are also creating that tele- technology in store." as well it won't just be online so yeah super important for the future there are other things literally like that I've seen in technology I wake up out of bed and it's a similar sort of touch screen up against my thing I can see you know what makeup did I wear the day before that or what makeup did I wear then if I wanted to create that one okay what clothes went with that makeup so honestly from a digital perspective watch this space because I think a lot more of that sort of trial on a digital and and putting yourself up there and it's really cool it's really exciting. So just waiting for that to roll out, really. And I think, you know, with the coronavirus happening, these sort of projects are going to be really accelerated. So yeah, really exciting times.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of testing and trying. And we saw that John Lewis had done a pop-up for More Paint for Men in its flagship store. That's a young British makeup brand, I guess for the average guy. But it had become now a permanent fixture in the store and online and has now seen sales exceed expectations by more than 50%. You mentioned about that merch but what's the future of men's beauty halls? What does that look like in your view?
2: Yeah, I mean, in answering that question, I mean, you could say, what's the future of, of beauty halls in general with, with what's going on? To give you some context, the online weight of business was 5% 10 years ago. Okay, so, and I just told you it's around 20, 21%. So in 10 years, we've shifted 15 percentage points. I think by the end of this year, will land at 30% online okay if not more so it's taken us 10 years to shift 15 percentage points it will take us 1 year to shift 10 percentage points so for me we're seeing this mammoth gigantic shift to online as you can imagine you know in terms of the the industry that i work in i work in luxury we've had all our brick and mortar business closed okay so a lot of work of what i've been doing is is making sure that our online customer experience is the best it can be you know, PDPs being the best they can be and really understanding what is our consumer journey. So from a brick and mortar point of view, it's now like what we just talked about, what does the future look like? And you know, it's really worrying for the high street. You know, you look at the news and the high street has been suffering for a while now and with everything that's going on, this huge shift that's that's happening is scary. So to answer your question I have no idea I have no idea I don't know what it looks like for both it, it, the total category but what I can say is there will be a shift to a lot more digitalization in store where we, where we have to adhere to social distance and using face and technology like that which is going to be challenging I think if I was a retailer, would I invest in the men's beauty hall? Probably not. We know they over-index online. We know they repurchase online. We know they're less likely to be inclined to talk to a beauty advisor as opposed to a female. So yeah, I'd probably stay clear of that one and concentrate how I'm going to make sure I'm driving the beauty category in, in the brick and mortar um, with what the business we've got at the moment.
0: So it's really interesting that you're saying, you know, if you were a beauty brand, would you invest in beauty halls? And obviously, based on the evidence, the data that backs up online, you would maybe recommend not to do so. But in terms of if you were a brand and you saw the huge opportunity in men's beauty and you weren't currently operating in that field, what would you say are the essential categories that they need to have in their assortment that, that a men's consumer is really gravitating towards?
2: Yeah, so for me, i definitely say beard care, like we just talked about. So beard oil, beard balm, beard preparation products, that's definitely one. But I've always said this, and I, I do think it, it 100% falls within men's beauty and, and beauty is hair loss. And I've always said the the company that cracks hair loss it's onto a big one. I mean, so so I've had a hair transplant and I spent a lot of money on a hair transplant. But before I had the hair transplant, I used to use dust, micro dust. So it's like black little dust that clips onto your hair to, and it fills up the sort of hidden gap. So if I can't crack hair loss, I'd definitely crack sort of hair sort of replacement and hide up the baldness with with microfibers so yeah that's that's if i was a men's brand right now and and spending r&d those those are sort of products i'll be going after
1: that's yeah i mean hair loss and doing that for the masses it would be like amazing thing rather to have to go through the more tough process of hair transplants so that's really interesting I'm writing down my million dollar business idea right now.
2: (laughs) Get cracking. You could could be onto a good one. Um, Yeah. I'd imagine there's a lot of companies out there that are, well, obviously after the solving the coronavirus vaccine.
1: A lot of men as well with beards, you know, that can't grow full beards. That's something that.
2: Yes. Very true.
1: Well, I guess we were talking a lot about Gen Z earlier because this is kind of, I guess, the future, you know, but. In previously in the 80s, you know, you had icons like Boy George and Prince who were using beauty products. We now have Gen Zs like Harry Styles and Jaden Smith who are emulating that similar style. We've also seen that 30% of Gen Zs are interested in using cosmetics from a survey that we researched. So why do you think that men's beauty products are more accepted now? And what do you see? We're going back to makeup. What do you see the makeup's role in the male beauty industry for future?
2: Yeah. I mean, we, again, similar to what we just we talked about with makeup by Jack, influencers are essentially normalising it. You know, so the more influencers talk about it, the more influencers use it. They are essentially shifting what is accepted and what is normalised and what is appropriate. Because you know, the more and more people do it, the less you're going to stand out at school. And and also, I think Gen Z, Gen Z, they're they're more expressive. They're a lot more expressive and it's acceptable to be expressive compared to what it was like 20 years ago when we when we were at school as boys. It, you, you weren't expressive, you, you got your head down. So in terms of you know what's driving it, it's definitely the influences and, and they're normalizing it. But I do think it's a 10 to 20 years trend. I, I do think it's the, the 10, 15-year-olds that will be 25, 30 uh, 2025 that will have this sort of acceptability and expressiveness and look and, and we'll be parents you know and, and we see our kids being expressive and we'll be like oh, yes pretty cool it's a pretty great way of, of them expressing themselves do i see gender specific to men don't know i think it could be more unisex led and makeup products are unisex not necessarily female, not necessarily male and, and really solution orientated whether you're male and female. I don't know the particular science. I know obviously men's skincare is, is, is men's skin is a lot tougher and therefore we don't age as badly as you guys. And we, we age like fine wines, but in terms of makeup, you know, I don't know if you, if we can use the same uh, makeup. So um, yeah, I see more of a unisex led approach, but again, I'm, we're talking 10, 10, years, I'd say. So we see the shift.
0: So that's, in, in terms of, obviously, we've just spoken about Gen Z and obviously makeup's role, but another hot topic at the moment that we've been seeing for the last few years and we're growing in, in importance is, is clean beauty. So, Ed, how important is clean beauty to the men's market? And I know we've been seeing messaging in the women's market that's moving kind of away from natural beauty, but more towards better ingredients and safer chemistry. What's your opinion on this and, and how's that driving sales in the men's market?
2: Yeah, so in terms of naturality, naturality and, and, and that being part of the total market, so it's, it's roughly around 2.1 billion of the 12 billion. So the smallish fraction of the market is growing. So it grew at plus 3.8% versus the 1.7%. So it is driving the category ahead, but fairly small. It's typically in body, typically in face and hair care. So it is a trend. Is it super hot? I wouldn't say it's super hot, but it is a, a growth driver. So if you then sort of scale that down again, as you can imagine, within the men's market, we're talking fractions now in terms of naturality. And I think as in terms of education to a male consumer, I think we still need to nail, you know, some of the basics around why you should moisturize why you should look after your skin, why you should wear sun cream. So I think as, as beauty companies, we've still got a lot of work to do to work on the basics before we jump to producing naturality. Now, again, you could be, you know, it might, be not, might not be for the likes of Coty or, or, or L'Oreal or whoever these big, big companies are to, to go after that. You could be a niche brand, And could make quite a bit of money on it because it's not it's not being concentrated on. I reckon if you if you started up your own company and started on men's naturality and you started bidding on that on AdWords, you probably have a good chance of getting some really good ROI because it won't be too expensive. So not one for one of the bigger companies, but absolutely, if I was an entrepreneur, have a look at what what's out there in terms of competition and have a go. But yeah, I think we we as some of the the bigger bigger companies, we've got a, a bigger job to do on basics.
0: Another it's business plan.
2: Another yeah. uh, business plan. We're, we're right, sorting out yeah. a lot of people here.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> making money. I bought my boyfriend the ordinary and explained the ingredients, and he just wasn't listening to. It and figured, I explained how the cell changes. It accelerates them using some of their products, but it didn't. Yeah, Win him right resonate <laughs> no. But I guess we were talking a lot about TikTok and there's such a big topic as well across our podcast, but MAC Cosmetics, they ran one of the most successful TikTok campaigns with hashtag you own it. And it had over 2 billion views. For Too Faced, they did a lip injection gloss, which saw sellouts as well and started six years previous to that. We've just seen increases across products within that range. So for you, what are the opportunities on TikTok for the men's market? And have you been testing this channel yourself?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of TikTok, as some of my friends know. I've I've played around with it, and and some secret videos made it onto my wedding speech or the guy my best man's wedding speech. So, I've had a lot of fun on TikTok. I can spend hours on there. In terms of uh, an investment arm and a and a place to play on on media, definitely looking at it on the female in the women's category. From a men's point of view, I think the budgets are very small. So if you if you think of some of the, the media budgets we have, you know, some of the bigger brands can afford T V, but for some of the smaller brands, you know, their, their media is hundred percent digital, but very tactical. It tends to be focused around paid social first and, and, and um sampling and influencer and ad- advocacy campaigns. So if you've got the money as a men's Business to be targeting on TikTok, I'd love to see your overall media budget because you you you've probably got a few other priorities right now before you go down the TikTok arm. But absolutely, I bet I bet people will be looking into it and seeing how again, how can they tap it? How can you make it authentic? How can you make it relevant? You know, could it be some sort of challenge started by a celebrity? So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they're looking at it and trying to find a cost-effective way to really tap into it.
0: It'll be interesting to see how quickly brands react and are able to kind of adjust their media budget and make room for that and how big that becomes for men's beauty. Absolutely. So you mentioned celebrities and influencers in the male market. I know yourself, seen a few photos of David Beckham. Uh, Um, There you go. (laughs) So who can men look to for inspiration and how important are they for influencing purchase within the men's beauty market?
2: Yeah. So the key, as I say, is authenticity. You know, guys aren't easily swayed and they can easily see through your marketing campaign. So you've got a challenge. You've got a real challenge to how can you work with an influencer to make sure that they're, you're, you're driving relevancy, you're driving the right message that, that isn't cheesy or, or just, you know, they can see through it. You know, you've got a different strategy. Could you rather than going with you know, an influencer who half a million followers who's worked with every FMCG brand you could name, do you go down on a uh, micro-influencer strategy? So target 100 micro-influencers who have 5,000 followers and, and get your scale that way as opposed to someone who who's worked with every single brand and really drive your authenticity through that way. So, I mean, you look at a lot of the successes is where maybe where an influencer has come up with their own product or their own gig, you know. If we look at other industries, so like protein products, and they get all their friends who are also influencers, and and they get all talking about protein products. So it's really hard with beauty because how can you how can you make it really authentic and drive that shift and that change? And I think that's happening at a much younger age. So the I keep going back to him, makeup Jack and 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 some of the other guys, you know, these influencers that are you know, sort of beauty led, it's very hard to drive authenticity with them. So it's tough. It's a big challenge.
0: Definitely, especially when I guess men aren't as used to talking about their beauty regimes or even have as, you know, solid beauty regimes as that of a woman to then go on social media and start talking to their followers or their friends about that, I guess isn't as, as natural. But Ed, if there was one thing that you want our listeners to take away from this podcast episode today, what would it be?
2: For me, like, uh, I hope they can see that the beauty market is a very exciting market. One of the things that I love why I've been in, in the luxury market for 10 years is, is the brand. I love how it's aspirational. I've been using skincare for 10 years and, and I'm looking younger. No, I'm, inj- I'm joking. <laughs> but it's, it's an exciting category and, and really get well versed up in it and, and really explore. You know, with makeup, you can have so much fun. I'm I'm obviously in fragrances, so I'm gonna name drop some of my brands, so Valentino, Diesel, Ralph Lauren, check them out. I'm joking again. But yeah, it's a super exciting category in terms of beauty. It's massive, it's huge. And, it, and, it's, and it's really exciting to see the way it's evolving, you know, from bricks to clicks and plays a massive part in the economy in terms of, you know, we talk about the scariness of the brick and mortar collapse and, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of BAs and, and, and we, you know, it, it's such a big part of our economy as well. So, yeah, ho- hopefully people have, you know, got an insight and, and got a real feel for it.
0: No, I think it was fascinating. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insight on the market. I've definitely learned a huge amount. Thank you, Ed. And thank you for all these new business ideas that I'm going <laughs> to.
2: Uh, well, make sure you give me a cut if, you, uh, if you're successful, please. You heard it here first.
0: You won't be turning up to work next week. I'll be wondering. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you. As a list
1: of ours, we're here to support you during this new challenging time in retail. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything they can to support you. For all our listeners, ensure you're subscribed to the Insider Briefing. Sign
0: up at Edited.com, where we'll be keeping you all updated on the latest news and strategies. Thank you for listening to Unedited. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Ed, please make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with future episodes. If you found this episode helpful, please give us a rating, a review or subscribe to us. And if you have any further questions, you can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Thanks. Bye.